I am unashamed. What about you? So, Jace, I got a. I'm still in Tennessee, um, up here at the uh, Trenton Crossing Church uh, of Christ, which is uh, allowing me to use their building for a couple of podcasts, which I really appreciate. Dad, they had their. Uh, told me they had their biggest crowd yesterday since the pandemic uh, at the church here where I spoke. And a lot of the reason why was because a lot of people that were here had driven from you know a couple hours away that listened to the podcast. So all the, those of you I met here at uh, Trenton Crossing, uh, thanks for making that trek down to see me. I mean, it's, it's humbling to me that so many people listen to the podcast. And if one of us is somewhere and they get a chance just to shake your hand and say, hey, this podcast is you know really changing my life. I mean, that's a it's a very humbling thing, and so I got to experience that yesterday. But, Jace, I got a, a, a picture from my oldest daughter, Anna, and um, she was sitting outside the King Cake Bakery at like 6.30 in the morning. She waited like 30 minutes <laughs> before they opened to buy you a King Cake, and I was like, man, I – I, I don't know what it is. She's, I mean, you know, she is a very loyal, loving person. But I was like, that's that's pretty much above and beyond the call of duty. So she's well, taking care of it. She knows my love for king cakes, and I think I think that I think what calls that out is the last time she did that. She went once, waited three hours, no king cake. You know, by the time she gets to the front of the line, they literally were out. So then about three days later, I didn't ask her to do this for me. She just she loves them, and she knows I love them. Yeah. So she brought me one, and I thought, you know, this woman, my niece, is doing what really I do the same thing for ducks, what she does for king cakes. She gets there early. <laughs> She's right. got to ride through it. You got yeah. traffic, people, everybody trying to get the ducks, everybody trying to get the king cake. And so she brought me a king cake, and instead of paying her, what do they cost? 20, 20 bucks. Yeah. I gave her a hundo. Oh, I said, keep them coming. That could have been I think motivation. <laughs> I think I lit a fire. Because <clears throat> then I'm in the duck blind when she. <laughs> Send me that text. And yeah. I thought, oh well. And I got home and guess what? King cake. Of oh, which cake. I within a twenty four hour period, there is no more king cake. They're better <laughs> when they're fresh. So well, she sent sure. one she she sent one out to dad. She got one for dad. Did you try it, Dad? The one that she sent out to you I, last I week? I tried it and I was stunned. It was so good. <laughs> oh man. Look, yeah. I've had multiple letters. Somebody's uh, My you know, first listen. bite, I bit down on something that was <clears throat> not going to give at all. <laughs> oh, you got the coin? Yeah, the coin. <laughs> you know what that means, Phil? You got to buy the next one. First you bite, got... just bump. <laughs> I got past the coin. I'm not okay. <clears throat> so yeah. Nan's going to be waiting for your hondo is the, is the next one, Dan. So, yeah, so it's interesting. I didn't even think about that. What's interesting, <laughs> uh, which, you know, I always try to parallel it to because i that's from being married to my wife i'm like because i was trying to explain that analogy and she's like i don't get it i was like well you know we have a saying in the duck blind you know we'll just wait it out you know we'll say you gotta ride the hole you know they're coming at some point you know and so i was like it's kind of the same thing she's just waiting it out i mean we're we're talking king cake these things are priceless 
But the Lord blessed me with, I didn't get to hunt for a week. I'm there the last day, Sunday morning. I'm by myself because everyone else, they were going to come in the afternoon and uh, and go to church. I was just going to go later or watch it online because I hadn't hunted so long. I was like, this is the last day. I mean, I, I have to go. And I went to the same place that y'all had gone the day before, which is usually a no-no. Because y'all actually had a good hunt. Yep. I mean, we, we <clears throat> nothing happened for over a week. And then on Saturday, y'all have a good hunt. And I just went back to the same place because I really didn't have a have a better idea. We had a hunt better than all of them in a month. Right, on the Saturday. So I go back to the same place. So and put the day up, before duck season closing, I mean, it's getting tight. Yep. So I went to uh, the same place. I was by myself, which... I mean, Phil gave me the nickname Lone Wolf McQuaid. I'm. I think your um, favorite hunting partner, as it turns out, is you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's, so, he's actually said something similar in the past. That's true. I mean, you know, it's it's weird. Like I wouldn't metal detect by myself because it's just I like being with other people and people holler and and you I like play, the, you wouldn't play golf by yourself. Wouldn't play golf by myself. It's a you know. pretty good deal because <clears throat> most people, well, what you're doing is you're rooting out someone erroneously shooting over your head mm. or sneezing at the improper time when you got mallards floating in or banging on something, you know, or, or they are so bold they think they're going to call one and they spook, spook that bunch off. I mean, it's it. Well, to give you a little. The only one you can blame for a misstep if you're hunting by yourself, is you. Right. Well, to give you a little glimpse into how I think and why I liked hunting by myself, especially on this particular day, is because overall our duck season can be summed up with it was a dry year during the nesting time in Canada. So we had way less fresh new ducks. No doubt And we saw it as, I mean, it was obvious. The ducks we dealt with this year were way smarter and and. They just weren't dumb. Well, then number two. There we were had, not near as many of them. Not near as many of them. Number two, we we had a freeze the year before during February, and somewhere when the ice got on those oak trees, we didn't produce any acorns. None. So those two factors I really. I would say we didn't produce them. The Almighty, <laughs> in his well, wisdom, yeah, that's what I meant. left <laughs> the acorns off. Good, I good can't clarif- make acorns grow. I wish good, I could. Good clarification. <laughs> you know good what clarif- made me, it made me think, is it illegal? i got to look this up. I probably shouldn't be having an illegal discussion here before. <laughs> on, a, but on a podcast. For God and men. Would it be legal if you have a bad acorn crop? Because I have a place in Tennessee, and look, it literally, every time the wind blows, you think it's a hailstorm with acorns. And I thought, what's wrong with just picking up buckets of acorns and dumping them out? I'm wondering, since it's a natural occurrence, we need to check the law on that. We what, When we realized we didn't have any acorns, if it's legal, if it's not considered baiting, would it be wrong to get buckets, and I'm talking big buckets, of acorns and bring them in? Yeah, you need to call the feds, I guess, and ask them. <laughs> right, I believe I will right after this is over. <laughs> what I was going to tell you is the reason I didn't mind this is because I thought I like the challenge. I'm very competitive. And so I'm like, what can I do to try to slick? Because we have a few new ducks because y'all had a, 
good hunt. So, so, the problem so, is mallards only eat acorns <clears throat> when they get in a bind right. food. But what happens is if you have a big acorn crop, your all your local woodies that raise there in Wood the ducks. backwater, mm -hmm. they will stay there because the acorns and then it holds them. Then all the ducks that from or some way off place, if, if you have the most acorns, especially when it comes to wood ducks, wood ducks that's their number one food. Pin oak acorns, willow oak acorns. But when you have a bunch of wood ducks, it attracts other ducks. Other so you, ducks say, you, boy, it's got to be a place to go. Cause there's a party. How, look yeah. how many ducks are down there. And they're kind of like humans. You learn a lot. And I was going to make an analogy on this. So I put out my decoys, which ducks at this time of the year, late. If you're dumb, you're dead. So they're gone. So we're, we've got real smart ducks. So I actually put my decoys out because I know at this time of year, they're looking for a mate and so this is when they pair up you don't see these big bunches you'll see a lot of lone mallard drakes flying around going they're looking for a hint so i thought since we're talking about marriage and you know, i'll kind of look at it from that perspective based on first corinthians 7 most so, people don't so, understand that ducks and on top of all that they can tell time because when legal shooting hours end when when it ends at yeah. 5.38, legal shooting hours is over. You cannot shoot a duck. Within minutes, you start looking, and the ducks come out of the heavens, and they load right. the place up once, <laughs> once the, the legal shooting hours are that, That's how smart time. Well, it's because they live to a certain point where they realize at a certain time, as soon as that sun sets, the it gets quiet, yep. and they're not shooting at us. So now we can fly. That's it. So, and a lot of these ducks this year, they went nocturnal, especially on full moons, because they're like, hey, there's something going on down there. They're not allowing them to shoot us at night. Yep. So let's just fly at night and go find our places. Hey. So with all that going on, I Do put you think they have a meet? Out. Do they have a meeting to talk about that? Like with the beavers? Well, I just when think the beavers it's are... just, it's kind of like an evolutionary survival. <laughs> yeah, it's a survival <laughs> okay. process. So look, so I got my, because Phil said, now we had a good hunt, but most of the ducks lit down on the right about 70, 80 yards. Well, we shot the decoys, yep. we, but we corrected that. We moved them up. Well, I noticed your spread yesterday. I said, old Jace figured out the same thing we did. Move your decoys up. Well, that's so what I did. Wide, they're in gunshot range because we're the way they are. That So we just moved everything. Well, that's what I was fixed to explain to you. So what I did was, as soon as I got there, had my decoys out. The first duck, as soon as it got legal, here comes two or three milers start working around. Well, they lit way down there on the right, out of range. Yep. I thought, huh. Now, I wasn't calling because at this stage, they can almost determine by name when we blow a duck call. There's Phil. There's Jace. Get out of here. I mean, you call at them, and they flare at this time of year. So what I did was I waited twice because the next bunch came. It was a couple of mallards, two drakes. And so I thought, ooh, they're looking for hens because of the time of year. So I waited for them to circle twice, and I just tapped one lick. Gang. And I basically said, softly, I'm an available hen there. <laughs> and and it's not, and it's not Jace. <laughs> you appeal to the lust of the, the old two, mallard drake. Yep. And guess what? <laughs> One of the drakes, when I 
communicated. That's why lust is a killer biblically. <laughs> I'm getting there. And man. One of the Drakes <laughs> said, "That's Jace." The other Drake said, "Oh, I love the sound of that hint." The wings locked. Didn't come. I bet you I can beat you down there. Look, didn't come toward the decoys. You know what he did? Came to he the tried blind. to come in the blind with me. I mean, <laughs> way too aggressive. So I killed him for it. <laughs> and look, no, no ducks in this story were injured except the ones I ate later with my neighbors. So we got duck, down to the, by ducks the way, were injured in the telling of the story. We got down to the day where you hunted, and then we went back again. Well, I'm getting but, there. But Phil. the last couple of days, I I just looked around and I noticed that I hadn't saved any ducks back for gumbos and such for a few mm. months. Yeah. So we, we, our task was to make sure we had enough ducks at the end of the season that are dressed, ready to go for gumbos. You know. Yeah. So what I did was I moved all my decoys, you noticed it, yep. out in front and to the left, way away from me. And I noticed you put a lone hen out there. I had one lone hen, and then I was a hen over in a little secluded area. Because I'm brushed. Yeah, I was analyzing look, your setup. Every time after that, that I I waited two passes, and I would call, that same scenario happened until I had my limit. And I thought, yes. I mean, because to me, even though I was by myself, I slicked these old ducks, and I used their weakness because they were looking for a woman, and I, I slicked them. And so it was re real fulfilling that, I killed my limit before church, and I did it craftily, and I didn't have any distractions because, I mean, it's like, Si, I love to hunt with Si, but we're going to kill less ducks because he's really loud, yep. and he won't get down. So even though we, I love to go with Si, when you're getting down to where you're dealing with this difficult of ducks, it's better if he's not there, if you want to shoot any. Yep. So <laughs> go ahead. Hey, Jess, let's take a break. So we're in uh, 1 Corinthians 7, uh, which is um, a really interesting topic uh, about marriage and an interesting take on it from the Apostle Paul. One of the things I can tell you for sure from my own marriage is that when, when you're married to someone, you're probably at some point in your life, at some season, going to need some counsel, uh, whether it's from you know a pastor or it's a friend or some leader in your church or also a professional counselor. One of our sponsors is a great group of people uh, called Faithful Counseling. And what's so great about them is that they offer counseling uh, via internet or text or chat or phone. And so you're able to get help even though you may not know of a counselor in your area. But they have over 3,000 licensed therapists across all 50 states. It's secure. It's convenient. Uh, you can schedule video and phone sessions generally weekly. Weekly. But uh, whatever works for your schedule. So we want you to check these guys out. Great sponsor, Faithful Counseling. Go to faithfulcounseling.com slash unashamed. You're going to fill out a questionnaire. It's going to help assess your needs. You're going to get matched with a counselor that you'll love. Faithfulcounseling.com slash unashamed. So anyway, I said that to say... When you're looking for a mate as a human, there are dangers. And, and 
the decision-making process, you know, to use this duck thing as an analogy, you know, it can be devastating when you're looking for the wrong woman in the wrong places for the wrong reasons. And I think a lot of it was fear and panic going on because they're like, it's getting late. We don't have a mate. That woman sounded really good, but you didn't even get a visual because I'd look nothing like a duck. I just sounded like one. So I but, thought, but don't you, know, you think that, to, don't you think too though, Jay? It's just on the hunting end, which is why you love hunting so much. And you know, we always talk about it, guys that are on a hot hole. We call it where there's plenty of ducks. They're coming every day. You shoot your limit by, you know, thirty minutes after you get there, and that's fun. I mean, we've all done that. We killed a lot of ducks. But what you described, it was difficult. You had to figure out what would appeal to your situation. And when you do, don't you think it's just that much more rewarding? Uh, you know, oh, I, in terms I was of so good. I mean, yeah. when I came home, Missy's like, "Why are you so excited?" I was like, "Oh, that was one of the best hunts I've ever been on." And she said, "Well, who was there?" I was like, "No, I was by myself." <laughs> She's like, "Well, that's depressing." <laughs> I said, "So I started trying to explain it to yeah. her. She didn't get it though." So look, so here's what's funny. She wanted to watch. <laughs> Later, because every all our kids are, you know, we're turning into empty nesters, you know, and so she was trying to. Uh, we were trying to watch a show, and it kept ever every minute or so, it would just pause, and you know the little hourglass would start going, and I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't watch this. I mean, we either let's do something else, or let's fix this, and she's like, well, it's only. I mean, it's, it was doing it every minute for about five seconds. And she's like, I think it kind of adds to the anticipation and drama. I'm like, no, I, I, I no. We, yeah, I we, my TV was torn up. They've just been doing the same thing. Yeah. So look, so she said, well, let me reboot it. And so when she rebooted, it hit me what, what the problem is. And I wrote this down. The, a message came up on our TV, and it said, something went wrong. We're sorry for the inconvenience. And I thought, this is like marriage. I'm going to try to make an analogy <laughs> over the hunt with her. I was like, see, so ever you fall in love and you think this is it. And all of a sudden you get about two weeks into it. And then a message appears in your mind. Something, Something went, went wrong. wrong. Something went wrong. Stand by. We're sorry for the inconvenience. Well, th in that moment, Half the population, they're just bolting. They're like, now it would be nice if you could go reboot, reboot something and just like, oh, it's back on. We're, we're going. So I was trying to explain it to her, and she just looked at me dumbfounded and said, I'm not following you. But I thought it was a pretty good illustration. I love it, and I love the idea that something went wrong doesn't mean I married the wrong person. Because that's what people yeah. jump to. Well, something <laughs> went wrong, so I married the wrong person, so I got to get out of this thing. It's like, no, wait a minute. Just stand by. We're sorry for the inconvenience, and we're, we're going to get this fixed. The idea is to fix it, not to just say something went wrong, I married the wrong person. Okay. So now you're following. Now you're tracking with me. So here's what happened. When I was in the blind at daylight, it's legal. I got my decoys out. The first two or three ducks come by. And they lit way down 100 yards away. And you know what I thought? Something went wrong. 
So I made an adjustment. Not to, I didn't leave the hole. I didn't say, you know what? I'm, I'm, come to the wrong home. I'm going right. to Arkansas and finding me another a new love. <laughs> or what? I didn't do that. <laughs> I made adjustment. And then I continually made adjustments. And the next thing you know, we have a blissful experience and a wonderful adventure. And so I tried to tell her that I thought it would inspire. But guess what? Something went wrong in me telling her about something going right. She which, would have had the duck hunt for several years to really appreciate what you were saying, Jace. Yeah. And she never I've never seen her in a duck mine, so she, she went, went once a couple times. She's gone a couple times. And and you know what? About the third time she shot, I mean after cuz I was more just worried about the safety of everyone involved. But after a quick tutorial and gun safety and all this, she actually is a pretty good shot, just naturally. I mean, well, she she two uh, scalp come whistling by. I would say at at least forty to fifty miles an hour, and I was gonna let her shoot first. And when she, I said, "Cut them," you know, I was thinking, "Boy, this will be good." And she raised up and just bump, and the lead one just folded. And so then I raised up and actually, because I was so stunned that she, because I only gave her one bullet, but I tried to shoot the other one and I missed. And then I shot the other one. So you're she, saying this is you incorporate teaching a woman how to duck hunt as a marriage counseling session. Well, we tried it, but guess what? She said, thanks for the experience. I don't want to go back. Yeah. That and I thought, why? You're a good shot. You didn't enjoy it. But you know why she didn't like it? Too many creepy crawlers in yeah, the blind. We, she, there was too many things crawling around. She, she like has it. she has bug issues, which is bad. So there's a young couple. It's funny you said that, Jace, because we were having dinner up here. They're the ones that got me up here to speak at this youth event. And the reason I came is because they were at Whitesbury Road. You remember the Summer Hills, Jace? Yeah. And uh, so great family. Of course. And, and so, <laughs> of course, you So Matt, he, uh, he joined the military. He was stationed up here. Um, at the at Fort Campbell, which is in Kentucky, and uh, he was she was telling me the wife was telling me that she loved to hunt with with Matt, and she said the first time they went duck hunting was on their honeymoon, and uh, and she said he took me on a she said what do you call it a something and a woody something and I said a woody roost. And she said, yeah, that's what it was. I said, uh-oh. Right. Well, there you go. Your I said, first experience doesn't need to be one that's breaking no. the law. Well, that's exactly what I said. The first thing you did on your new beginning your new life together was you broke the law. Of course, he's laughing. He said, yeah, you're right. And, she's, and then, he, then she said, so I was behind him, and he said, you need to shoot. And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. There's, now we got problem number two. You, you shouldn't be behind somebody shooting. You need to be next to each other so you know where you're shooting. Yeah. Which, Al, the analogy, the number one rule in hunting and in marriage is safety and security. Exactly. And seeing where everybody's at and what they're doing. So she said the first I raised up, of course, he didn't give her one bullet. She shot three times right over his head. Another rookie mistake. Uh, he said, I could, Mr. Allen, I could feel the compression coming over my head. I said, oh, I know. We've all felt that. But I was like, was well, some wonder you guys are still married. And they are, happily. Mm -hmm. So they, they survived the early duck hunt. I thought it was See, interesting. See, when I gave her the one bullet, I did make a marriage illustration because she's like, well, it shoots three. I said, yep. But I don't want to be worried 
about that little window of time when your safety's off in between shot number one and shot number two. Yeah. I said, but look at it like our marriage. You get one shot at this. Make it count. <laughs> and she and she did. <laughs> she has. She's been loyal. <laughs> so, but I was going to make as an analogy because a lot of young men have asked me my advice because they're like, they can't find a woman who will marry them or they can't find a woman who they feel like is worthy of marriage. And I ask simple questions. I'm like, well, where are you going to look for these women? Well, you know, if you're going to wild parties and bars, you're you're, you're not going to find a woman that's marriage material. Uh, yeah. Now, I'm saying for the grace of God, you can bring them to Jesus, and I have seen it work, but rarely. You know, I mean, because when it gets down into marriage, as many spiritual spiritual qualities as they have and as less baggage, and I mean life before Jesus, it's just going to be easier. It doesn't mean it's not, it can't work. It's just going to be easier in that scenario. Would you agree? Yep. Exactly. In fact, that's exactly what I told the kids last night, Jace. I said, at the end of my, when I finished up, I said, I've talked to you a lot, a lot of baggage that Lisa and I brought into our relationship. I want you to have as least amount of baggage as possible, you teenagers, going into your future adult lives. In fact, it'd be great if it was just like one of those little mini purses or just maybe one briefcase because you're going to have a little bit. But, man, you don't want a whole trunk, you know, a U-Haul full of suitcases full of crap that comes into your marriage. So I, I made that exact point. Let's take a yep. break. Let's take a break. So uh, we talk a lot about our, our home titles because one of our sponsors, Home Title Lock, uh, is really there to protect your home and your title to your home. 100% of the equity in your home can be stolen, unfortunately, by cyber criminals. And once it's gone, all the years of hard work and savings that you did to purchase your home and to pay for your home uh, can be stolen from you. But the FBI calls home title fraud one of the fastest-growing crimes in America and really around the world. So HomeTitleLock.com is going to be your leader in home title protection. So you want to be able to, to – so cyber criminals come in, they try to steal your title, and then steal your equity, claiming they own your home, and you get left with all the legal fees and everything that goes with it. So you want to check these guys out to protect your home. Go to HomeTitleLock.com. That's where you're going to find your peace of mind and that the deed to your home is truly protected. HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. And make sure your home title is protected. Well, in our last time, 1 Corinthians 7, I mean, I I tried to make it about the big picture because I, I ultimately believe if your relationship with God is solid and the foundation, you're in a better po position to make great decisions about choosing a spouse or remaining single because in the end you're doing it for the kingdom of God. And so I brought that out in the personality of the Trinity because ultimately you're looking at God's plan, which is what we're all, he wants us all to be a part of his forever family. And that should be the standard. 
And when you look at the difference in male and females, you also see that we're brothers and sisters in Christ and we're sons and daughters of God. And I think those three views of our gender differences would help you understand how to have a dynamic marriage when you're putting it in God's context. The Apostle Paul, the same thing he said to the Corinthians, he said to the Thessalonians, it's God's will that you should be holy, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that's holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins, as we've already told you and warned you. For God did not give us, to, did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. That's in 1 Thessalonians 4, but that goes along with what we're looking at in 1 Corinthians 4 and 5. Yeah, well, exactly, and that's why I think that what is what should you should ask yourself three questions based on what we did last time. What is your plan for your marriage? Well, it should be what God's plan is, which is Correct. to be a part of His forever family. You say, well, what is our purpose for our marriage? It should be what God's purpose is, which is to spread Jesus, even though we're flawed and to bring as many people as possible into God's forever family that he created. And then you say, well, what? where's the power going to come from to do this? And that's when you get into the Holy Spirit, which gets into the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So that's where I was getting to that. And eventually we'll get to 1 Corinthians 13, and it shows you the way to show that in faith, hope, and love. Because you remember about the Corinthians. What was the big, bigger problems here? I mean, we read all these problems. I mean, their biggest problem was they had forgot they had forgotten Jesus. He had to remind them of the gospel. He tells them 90 times that he's Lord, you know. They were tolerating just open sin and division in in the ranks. And they neglected the greater, weightier matters, which are faith, hope, and love, which I'm saying a truly uh, sincere relationship with God realizes that you're getting that faith in Jesus. You're getting that hope in sharing Jesus and our future resurrected bodies and, and physically being part of God's forever family, but you're also getting that power of the Holy Spirit to make all this happen, and then it's not based on your performance, because when you look, I look back on on our marriage, I mean, I've done so many dumb things and had so many dumb philosophies as we've journeyed together into, I, I think, a dynamic marriage, that it is a reliance on God's power to make them successful. No, I agree. And I, I think to dad's point to support that, Jace, every passage in every letter that Paul wrote, dad mentioned 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 13 we've read. You just mentioned Galatians 5, Ephesians 5, Philippians 2. Every passage that makes brother and sister stronger 
by the way you treat one another, by the way you live by the Spirit, makes your marriage stronger. I mean, the same principles can only make a marriage better if you're following the principles that Paul lays out for the church. Because the passages that we've been reading, they were written to the church, but think about how the impact they have inside a marriage. Because if you're treating your wife as you would treat your sister or your brother, I mean, it's always going to come out better, not worse. And what they do is, they, the young marriages, <clears throat> they, 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 their confidence is not in God. About brotherly love, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. So your teacher is God. Not the man you're married to, your teacher is God. And you put the principles and all of it together, you say you come out a much better person if you let God teach you. That's why all scriptures God breathe. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training so the man of God will be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's pretty well the goal. Remember the teaching has to be from God through his spirit who lives in you. So it would it would uh, cut to the chase and be very helpful <laughs> So, anybody. so, Jay's think about that. I want you to put this thought into your grid that you're talking about with the idea of the Trinity and how it relates to marriage. In verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 7, we skipped over this one last time. Uh, Paul said the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. Then he knows we're talking about sexuality because that's the context he mentions. But do you know that word duty? The Greek word there for duty, it only appears one other time in the Gospels or the New Testament. And you know where it is? It's in Matthew yeah. It's in Matthew 18, in that 21 through 35, where Jesus is telling the parable about the servant who owes a debt. That's the same word of forgiveness to the one that, remember, he forgave his debt, and then he wouldn't forgive the debt to the other guy. That's the mm-hmm. word. That's used, and I thought that was really interesting because the only other time that concept that he's talking about sexuality within marriage is the idea that we owe a debt to forgive people that have wronged us. That's the only other time that word is used. So I thought that was really interesting that a word that really has such a heavy spiritual connotation Paul uses when he's talking about sexuality inside of marriage. And coming um, out of that is Jesus that is uh, when he said. How many times should we forgive somebody who sinned against us? Seven? He said 70 times seven. That I'm came out to, of that teaching. I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to incorporate this into my making a move. You know, I owe you a debt. Look, I have a duty that I must fulfill because <laughs> my it's a point. spiritual thing. You know, I mean, how, how do I make, you know. <laughs> Hang on, let's, let's take a break. <laughs> Which is my point, Jase. Paul is saying the same. Because look, to a man, if you said it's your duty to to have sex with your wife, you're like, all right, sign me up. I'm in. Well, uh, I know, but that's not going to be appealing to her. Well, right. Look, I got to go uh, perform unle- my duty. Are you in? No, nope, I'm out. I'm not unle- unless, unless, you, <laughs> unless you can convince her that the same responsibility applies to you forgiving her when she wrongs you, or treating her with respect, because basically it's the same word, is my point. 
Yeah. Well, I'm get what I'm getting at. You don't get along with your woman, your sex life will suffer. Well, exactly. And I'm saying the answer is not to break out the Bible and read first Corinthians seven five. That's a little much. That's, That's going nowhere. Yeah. So <laughs> I was trying to take Al's analogy <laughs> and give a give a pickup line to your wife. <laughs> so we need to think about that. Or maybe we just make that yeah, make that appeal to the wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. Mm. Yeah. Well, I know you like that. And this is men's favorite verses in the Bible, yeah, well, unfortunately. Sad for scripture here, dude. <laughs> 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 no, I'm agreeing with you, but they want a romantic I mean it's a pickup. That's God's teaching. I'm like I need to hmm. find that lesson. I had one time I did ten pickup lines for your wife, but I don't know what I did with that. Yeah. But uh you might have it's lost that. in the annals of time, Jake. Yeah, I know. I need to revisit that. But the key thing is, is what I'm saying, is marriages get stale and old for whatever reason, and people get bored. These are the types of words they use. That's why I keep going to the bigger picture. I mean, you're it's like me when my first, when, when y'all said, you ought to wear these Tommy Johns. I said, Uh-oh. Tommy John. So I did, and when as I strolled by Miss Case, he said, "Wow!" And I'm like, "Okay, now we've opened up a we've opened up something. Yeah, you've opened up a, a door here." Times, and I'm not sure how I feel about that story. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think at any point in life, it's called an upgrade. I mean, Dad's been wearing them saggy, yeah, tidy whiteies. They, they they quit being tidy a long time ago. They're saggy. How you cover your body within a marriage <laughs> must have, must be a, have a point there. Well, I'd have never got the wow. I'd have got a woo. There's well, there's different interpretations of wow. Yeah. I mean, I've had some mountaintop experiences that yep. led someone to say wow, and then I've had some valley moments that people went wow. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I understand. So, well, another thing I think we should address that's in this text. There's some larger themes. I, I think we've established the fact that Paul is dealing with some questions that he got about a lot of specific situations, and so he's basically giving them advice on what he thinks they should do. And by the way, I mean, all three of us are inspired men of God because we have the Holy Spirit. And I don't know about y'all, but I've heard so many different scenarios when people come to me and say, here's my situation. And so I usually apply a passage to try to say, well, here's the best thing. But sometimes I'm like, you know, I don't know. I just think here's what I think. And, you know, this is something you might try. I mean, I feel like it's a studied opinion, but it's not really a biblical thing. And I I almost feel like some of the things Paul's talking about is like that. It's like, hey, I think you should think about this. Plus, yeah. in this right here, one that uh, could be tricky at best, uh, when he says in verse twenty-seven, twenty, it, you, you look, you, you have people, they've had four wives or five, married, divorce, married, divorce, and it's 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 widespread. But but it is interesting that in the middle of all that, each person should remain in the situation which he was in when God called him. In other words, 
you got you've you've got a past. I had one. It was pathetic. Well, it's impossible to go back and undo what you've already done as far as exactly practices. Were you a slave when you were called? He brings in slavery. Don't let anyone don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For he who was a slave when he is called by the Lord is the Lord's freed man. So he's basically saying, think of your conversion. There's no use trying to undo all of what you've done before. You got four wives, you got kids, about three of If you try to, to get back and get that untangled, well, it seems a, to suggest, yeah, yeah. look, God takes all that into account. You can start over. And exactly. And I think what people do, I'm glad you brought this up. They try to take what happened in 1 Corinthians 5, where you have open sexual immorality and bragging about it. That is correct. In the name of Jesus. And they're like, no, wait a minute. You have a different conversation and you say, even if we have to disfellowship somebody. You're free from that. that. Yeah. You, that's different than this, where a lot of religious groups practice this police kind yeah. of Gestapo type performance in the church of trying to go back 30 years and take the principles in first Corinthians seven, the questions that they had. Yeah. And start dictating policy on what you can and can't do. And as a result, they come up with unforgivable situations that is where people are looking around saying, what? That's why my whole point has been, if you surrender to the Lord and you realize you have the power of the spirit and you're functioning as a son or daughter of the almighty and a brother and sister in the church, Going back to Ephesians, he has set up, as us being the bride of Christ, a way for leaders to be involved in difficult situations. So now with a surrendered, humble spirit, you may be in one of these situations where you're married to an unbeliever or you've been married 17 times and it's as complicated as you can come up with. So now you're, you've married Jesus, and you're a brother and sister, brother or sister in the Lord. Well, sometimes you may have to have conversations with leaders and wise people who are led by the Holy Spirit as a functioning church. But whatever we try to do, we're going we're gonna to consult the head, which is Christ, and move forward and use the transformation in his grace from where you're at right now in a way that glorifies God. I think that's doable. Yeah. Instead of going if and being me mean the, and hateful don't. and judgmental over <laughs> situations that you've just created with trying to fix someone's past and all the carnage that lies. You're making it beneath. impossible for his sins to be removed. I mean. Well, you look up in these churches and what happens is there's very few people there and most of them that are there are mean. Yep. And you're like, well, I wonder what happened. Because I think you've promoted a plan that was not God's plan, including grace and forgiveness and wisdom and knowledge based on us coming together and saying, okay, well, how do we move forward to glorify Christ? So let's, uh, let's take our last break. And Jace, to your point, that I means it's a good one, is you mentioned this on the last podcast, that a lot of people take this one chapter and then try to apply a whole new set of rules and circumstances and doctrines in their church. 
And that's what you get into, again, without understanding what he's talking about. We don't even have the questions that was asked. One of them that I assume was asked because he spends almost half the chapter dealing with it. Because, And again, this is something we wouldn't even understand in our culture. Because the whole betrothal process that was going on in his time, where you had someone who was legally bound to this virgin wife, but he hasn't married her yet and consummated the marriage because he's working on their domicile and all this stuff. I mean, you can go back and study the history of this stuff. So the question had to have been, well, what if I got this, you know, I'm already committed to, we're betrothed, I've already got my diary, I'm, I'm building our life together, but now... I think it's best for me not to continue continue with the marriage because I'm a believer, and so I want to commit myself to God. What do I do? I mean, that had to have been the question because he spends all this time talking, well, look, you're not wrong if you marry her. You're not wrong if you do. So he spends all this time talking about it. But, again, if we try to come in and apply stuff today there are that we don't even understand. And, you know, some people are – I mean, you think these things are controversial. Some people are in arranged marriages. So here we go. What do we do? They didn't choose. They were forced by their parent, which I think is just ungodly. But, I mean, that's what they did. And it still goes on in culture. That's right. Yeah. For them, when they read this, I think in that situation, maybe they can figure out a way to move forward practically. But my whole point has been this. And uh, this is in 2 Corinthians 11. So he's going to kind of follow up with this. But he, he says in verse 2, and this is Paul speaking, he said, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I mean, he's saying, I, I only want what's best for you. And he says, I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds have somehow been led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preach, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. Yep. And my point is, once they got off Jesus being married to him, no matter what situation there is out there, and you can include every culture and every situation that goes on from the beginning of time, you no longer have a basis to move forward that covers all situations. And he's trying to say, get the basis down. And then if you're in these different types of situations, God has a plan for your life. Now, it may take some prayer and some conversations with other spiritual people who are trying to help you out, but they were, he was saying that I'm coming to you. I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. jealousy. I'm trying to get your, your mind in the right frame to make decisions moving forward. Cause he's leaving out the part that your lives have turned into just a complete disaster and chaos. We all see that from Corinthians from the outside in, you look at the problems in their church and you're like, what a disaster. But it wasn't like he was throwing haymakers. He was saying, God's grace, God has a purpose, God has a plan for you. He even addressed all their questions and different situations, which I wouldn't do. I'd just say, look, fall in love with Jesus, and then let's talk about it. But he yep. he goes down there, and I think it helps for people in difficult situations. Once they fall in love with Jesus, they can go to First Corinthians 7 and say, okay, I have an unbelieving husband. 
evidently by reading this, if I put Jesus first in my life, he's going to work in me in this situation. I do think that gives them comfort and hope. I do and, I, and I do think that's an overarching principle, Jace, because Paul says it here, and then Peter says it in 1 Peter 3, he deals with it, when he says, look, if you're married to an unbeliever, the best path forward is to stay married and try to win them over. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's the general principle. But even Paul says here, but look, if they decide they're going to check it to you because they don't believe what you believe and so they're going to go live like the world and leave you, you can't do anything about that because a marriage takes two to tango. So, But I think in terms of a believer, and I know we have a lot of believers listen to this podcast that are married to unbelievers because I get questions all the time. I mean, when is when? And I'm like, look, as long as they're willing to love you and stay married to you, I think you should try to win them over. If they leave you, you know, Paul said there's nothing you can do about that. That's not your, that's not your problem then. Well, well, I know we got to close, but I want to say this. To me, in that scenario and all these scenarios, it's still not up to us, just because we're Christians, to go around and try to police all these situations. No. You know, now we can get in a room and try to help people who are trying to do what's right in the name of Jesus. But you have this situation in 1 John 2 where you remember it talks about Jesus mediating for us and not only that but him dying for the sins of the world in chapter 2 but there's a verse in verse 1 speaking of Jesus as our counselor kind of like our defense attorney he says I write this to you so that you will not sin and my point is no matter what you do in marriage or pre-marriage we sin people have sex before they get married is it wrong yes People get married multiple times. People have made mistakes. And so God's grace, him on a cross and a resurrection, and him writing about this, he, he doesn't want us to sin. So that's in one, one breath. We want to do the right thing. But then the next verse or next sentence says, but if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to our Father in our defense, Jesus Christ writes one. And it's so hard for people in the church to have that attitude as difficult. Look, I've seen people just get married over and over. They're going to the wrong places, marrying the wrong women for the wrong reasons, and guess what's happening? One disaster after another, and you say, what do you do? Do you disfellowship them? And you say, look, you get back to Jesus, you're married to Jesus, make better decisions. You, I mean, that's all we can do as people. You can't go around saying, okay, seven strikes, you're out. No, you just, you know, now if somebody is openly living like First Corinthians 5, there are exceptions to that where you have a different conversation. But in generalities, we don't know people's hearts. And if they're saying, what, what do I need to do? This is what we do. Well, I want to pick that up in the overtime. Uh, before we go, blazetv.com slash unashamed. You still got a little bit of time left before February 7th. Use the code more unashamed. You get $15 off a one-year subscription. We're going to finish that thought out and talk a little bit about what God had in mind by creating human sexuality to begin with. So check it out on uh, more unashamed, unashamed OT on blazetv.com slash unashamed. Thanks for listening to the Unashamed Podcast. Help us out by rating us on iTunes. And don't miss an episode by subscribing on YouTube. And be sure to click that little bell to get notified about new episodes. And for even more content that you won't get anywhere else, subscribe to Blaze TV at blazetv.com slash unashamed.